Upstream with Jim and John, father and son conversations about discipleship and culture in the Pacific Northwest. I'm John. And I'm Jim. And today we're going to talk about what should the church's posture be in today's culture? In other words, uh, how do we approach culture? How do we position ourselves in the culture? We have four options for you, and you get to pick. Yeah, I like it a lot. Uh, First, it is story story time, John, and it's your week. My week this time. Uh, Maybe you could have a story and a joke. Uh, no, just the just, just the story. The, just the story. I all don't right, have let, the. All right, let's hear. Joke this time. We have some listeners saying, "How about some jokes?" Who? I'm not going to say the names <laughs> on the podcast. Well, I'll I'll do some research. The names have some, been changed to protect the innocent. I'll do some thinking. I can't really just do knock knock jokes on the spot. You know, my humor <laughs> is more like jazz. You know, it's oh, impromptu. Nice. Yeah. So. uh this story was when uh, we were, I was a senior in high school or thereabouts. It was when you were doing the senior small group, you and mom. Oh, yeah. At our house. So just for listener context there, uh, for now, 12 years, Sue and I have the high school seniors of whatever church we're serving come to our home on Monday nights. This year, it's Thursday nights um, during their senior year. And we hang out with them. We offer them a safe home to be in. We talk about. Man, we unless you're am I still in your thunder with what this group? No, does? go for it. Okay, so uh, we talk about you know, politics and faith and sexuality and dating and marriage and career, vocation choice, all kinds of stuff, and uh, we have a blast. And then we finish the year. The church gives those seniors a half price mission trip for their graduation gift. Well, any graduating senior, not just the ones in the in the group. That's true. Um, and so we go uh, typically to Haiti although that's been politically challenging, and with COVID, it's been a problem. So I believe El Salvador might be the next place. They're still working on it, I think, with, oh, okay. with COVID stuff. Okay. Anyway, so that's a little bit about the senior group. So you had a great class. Your class was especially fun. It was super fun. Yeah, I had a great time. And uh, so it was just a bunch of you know, people I had known since we moved here, basically, who were all in my uh, graduating class. So basically, it would go... Uh, I would get home from school and um, you would be, you guys would be pre- preparing and you'd send me to go get some stuff either from the uh, bag of ice, yeah, or, bag of ice, Cokes, uh, yeah. so either from the pilot or if it couldn't be done there, something from Fred Meyer. Sometimes it'd be a whole, you know, a bunch of some, some ingredients. And so uh, this time Bethany was hanging out and she must have been back from college for some reason. I can't really remember. Maybe it was like towards the summer. And uh, so we both went to Fred Meyer to get soda for the group. And there was always freedom. You said, you know, get, just get some drinks. I'd say, what kind of drinks? And you said, just, you know. Get whatever you want. But not really. There was some. Well, you couldn't get alcohol. No, but if I came home with like, uh, I don't know. V8? Like, yeah, if I came home with V8, you wouldn't be pleased. Or like eggnog. You know, it has I to, hate eggnog, but I wasn't getting, I wasn't having you get the drinks for me. I was having you get them for seniors. So no, I, I know. Thought, for well, the whole, if you like it, then maybe they all like it. It's true. So I see, uh, uh, we see ginger ale there. And Bethany's like, oh, ginger ale. <laughs> and I said, uh, I said, you know, uh, it's weird that people only really drink ginger ale on airplanes. And she said, that's not true. That, said, that sounds true to me. It's, not, it's very true. And even <laughs> very true. I hadn't. Have fl- you done research on this or something? Just anecdotally, it is affirmed 
every time I'm on an airplane. And it is affirmed every time I don't see anybody drinking ginger ale any other time in my life. Uh, no one drinks it. And then I'm on an airplane, and all the time I see, uh, oh, I'll, I'll have a ginger ale. <laughs> and it's just bizarre. Why do you think that is? I have no clue. And so, uh, but I was, it was something that I hadn't realized that I had observed until I said it. And I was like, oh, yeah, obviously. I've done a lot of flying for an 18-year-old at that time. Going back and forth from Colorado, you know, twice a year or so. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, so Bethany says that's BS. She says that's not true. And so we get ginger ale anyway. BS stands for bologna sauce. Yeah, for those not not aware, bologna yeah. sauce. And uh, so we get it anyway because I, I, I did not want ginger ale. I just was making an observation, and she said that's not the case. So we bring it back to the house and plop down some ginger ale on the table. And uh, Cole Hasty is is there this oh, time. Oh my! He didn't come very often. This was no, a, yeah. but it, it was fun. And he for, he sees it and he goes, "Oh man, I'm all about this on airplanes." <laughs> <laughs> nailed it nailed it yeah immediate that is hilarious immediate confirmation from my my uh my hypothesis and uh it was it was very fun me and bethany have a lot of petty fun squabbles like that but never has one been resolved that quick that rapidly yeah. yeah and you won did yeah. do you typically win how what percentage of the time do you think you win no one ever wins in these things generally wow. you know that when they're when they're that petty each one well, yeah but i mean guns yeah until. that's true so this one was the because he's not where. like the authority on airplanes either. So <laughs> right or ginger ale, right? But it was so uh, <laughs> such a high coincidence that at oh, least yeah. she that's, she dropped it for the, for the sake of it. <laughs> but it was a good time, and I it was I always think fondly of those uh, uh, small groups. Ours was just really really thick. It was it was it, a great group. Yeah, and I worked with a lot of those guys at the the boat check. Uh, yeah, yep. one of my first jobs, and uh, yeah, I, I think fondly of those at good the Tilly times. House. Good summer. Times. Yeah. We pretend we're on PBS radio. Good times. Is that what they say on PBS radio? Yes, when they're talking about uh, those two chicks on Saturday Night Live for doing oh. public radio. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Good times. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so take us into the take us into our conversation. Okay, so um, as we know, the world's kind of messed up. A little bit. Uh, it's a little crazy, and culture continues to shift at rapid speeds. And um, a whole lot of thinking is going on about things like uh, abortion, which has been a long time, but still it comes up. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, women's rights, sexuality, gender fluidity, same-sex marriage, um, politics, uh, immigration. Racism. Racism. Man, there's just topics everywhere. And meanwhile, and particularly in places like where we live, the church has a really uh, negative cultural connotation to it. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, I would say in here, they would pretty much say, if you say I'm a Christian, that means you hate homosexuals, um, refuse to recycle, and vote Republican. Maybe, yeah, maybe you don't wear a mask or now. Or, right, yeah. right. Uh, you storm the Capitol. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so um, it's a difficult time. Uh, to understand our cultural context and then how do we position ourselves as the people of God in that context? Mm -hmm. And so uh, there are, we're going to give you four options. um, And I know people who pick all four of these options. Really? Oh yeah. And so uh, you're not a freak. If you favor one over the other, we do believe there is one of the four is a correct biblical answer. Yeah. So, but it's a great conversation for us to have because when we say how should the church posture, we really mean how should we as believers, followers of Jesus, 
posture ourselves toward the culture. Yeah. And what is our mission anyway as the as the people of God? That's a great question right there. You know, I've asked people anecdotally over the last week, why do you go to church? What do you want from your church? And the the answer predominantly is um, I want to be loved. I want to be safe. I want to raise my kids in a safe place. I want my kids faith formed. I want to have Christian community. I want to be encouraged and developed in my, my own journey of faith. It's a lot of uh, I want me to, mm-hmm. to be the center of the mission. Yeah. And so um, that that bumps into this conversation as we talk about what really is our role in the culture. Yeah, and it's it's funny when you grow up in the church. It's there are questions you don't need to ask because they've been answered. So, like when I have um, I have information from my culture and growing up, and so it's it's hard to read scripture and try to read it without that information. You know yeah. what I'm saying? You so, can't unknow what you already know. Exactly. Or can't unthink what you already think. Exactly. So when I try to think, um, what if I was reading when Jesus talks about the church? Yeah. It's almost impossible for me to just think about it the way Jesus talked about it because, yeah. you know, how can you even do that? So, but it's crazy that that's the first time that word was used, right? Like, what do you, what yeah. even. Yeah. In the book of Acts is the first time the word Christians is used. Yeah. Uh, Jesus introduces the word church. He says on the this confession of Peter's, I will right. build my church. Right. And so uh, even that word, it's really interesting. This is, I hope this is interesting. Um, that word is ekklesia, the Greek word ekklesia, which is ek out of and kaleo to call. So I will build my called out ones mm. uh, into this thing and the gates of hell will not prevail, meaning not that the gates won't beat up the church, but that the gates won't be able to withstand the forward advancement of the church. Hmm. So it's this uh, group of people who've been called out by God in to become his body, to participate in the divine nature together and to invade darkness yeah and i think we kind of because growing up knowing what church looks like it looks like going to a congregation on sunday which is a modern thing because that wasn't the case from acts chapter eight but it's not that different from what temple was right back in when they were but temple was not temple was not a new testament practice but that's what i'm saying we we kind of think of it as there's temple for the jews and yeah. there's church for the christians it's yes. the same you that go is how we week. think about it and i was going to yeah. say a terrible thing happened when the gutenberg press was printed and they started mass producing bibles and they started translating the bible instead of uh, from the latin they actually translated it from the german Hmm. And the German decision, as they translated the original manuscripts into German, they chose for the word church, on this rock I will build my church. They did not choose the called out ones. They they chose the word uh, Kirk, which is a physical space. Hmm. And so from that time on, all the translations of the Bible – have kind of that context woven into the language that it is a physical place. Yeah. And it was never intended to be that way when Jesus had this in mind. He didn't think, I'm going to put church buildings all over the country and all over the world, and the gates of hell will not be able to stand them. He did not intend it to be physical locations all over the world. But he doesn't say, and I don't know enough about the original language, but he doesn't say that gates of hell won't prevail against them. He says it. So he's talking about a new entity. It being the capital C church, all of the body of Christ together. Right. Yeah, all the called out ones. 
that gate the gates of hell won't be able to stop the advancement of the called out ones. Yeah, but it's still tricky because this is, um, you know, this is what it is in a, in a kind of poetic or macro like metaphysical sense. Yeah. But when you get down to what is the church supposed to do is like like, you know, the um, what the Great Commission, they go out, go throughout the earth and make disciples of all the nations. Right. Like, is that for the church? You know, and then and especially like we're talking about today. Uh, in our specific social context, when it, when things feel mm-hmm. more complicated than they ever have been, whether or not that's accurate or not. Well, that's a great example because um, we have a tendency, those who are not uh, in vocational ministry, mm-hmm. to see the Great Commission, go into all the world, uh, preach the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey whatever I've taught. Um, they tend to think, well, that's the job of the professionals. Mm-hmm. That's the job of the pastors, the missionaries, the evangelists. That's their job. And we are recipients of that job. And uh, that is not true. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a hundred, about 100 people at the water when he did that, and only 11 of them were apostles. So mm-hmm. uh, this wasn't about you vocationally called people go do this. This was I want my people to be this way, to have this influence. In fact— but I, I never said professional. I mean, his people is the church. So exactly. he is saying that is the church's job because that's your job, right? It's your job too. Because I, I'm the church. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Okay. Yeah. I just want to make sure we're on the yeah, same yeah. page. Those are synonymous. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so, but, but now we as the church, what do we do? So let's right. just talk about the first option. The first option is to fortify. Against the culture. Yes. So uh, we live in this crazy culture. They're teaching sex ed in the schools. Um, you know, they, they're, they're marrying the gays. You know, <laughs> you have this, this cultural opposition to these things. Mm-hmm. And so what do you do? Well, one option is we're going we're gonna to circle the wagons. We're going to build churches where the believers can gather and our children can be together without fear of this kind of instruction being taken on to them. In yeah. fact, we might even homeschool them. We might even build Christian schools. We might even just totally withdraw from the whole cultural context. And then, you know, their friends are going to be from a Christian background. Right. You're, 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 you can control their social circle. You can control their dating life because mm-hmm. they're going to date only each other because that's all they know. And we're going to fortify. Uh, uh, the church is a fort. It's a fortress where Christians can gather safely and be protected from the big bad world. Mm. Now, that sounds like I'm mocking that. Um, there was a I'll tell you about a guy uh, way back in Denver. Um, on a Wednesday night, I was standing in the lobby. He had a teenager in the student ministry, which was going on in the big room, and they were having a lip sync contest. Hmm. And one of the students was doing a Michael Jackson song. And man, this guy pitched a fit. And so uh, he came out to the lobby and he is letting me have it in front of a lot of people <laughs> about what's going on in there. And uh, in typical me fashion, I did not know that was going to be going on in youth service that night. Mm-hmm. I did not know what the song limits were, you know, so I don't know what, what the guys, the youth guys doing in there. Yeah. But uh, I'm like, what, what exactly is the problem? And he said, this is not appropriate for church behavior. And tell me more about that. Why is that? And he began to build this fortress argument about the church. Mm-hmm. In fact, he says that he, he used this phrase, I'll never forget it the rest of my life. He said, we are called 
to be evangelical separatists. Whoa. He, he thought this through. Oh, yeah. It's, it's a, it was a very passionately held position in his thinking. This is what the church is. We are separatists. We are come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. This is his, the verse. And um, don't be unequally yoked. And, you know, you separate, but we are evangelical separatists. We care about them. Mm-hmm. And so we might throw a fish hook over the wall of our fort and hopefully catch a fish out there, but we mm-hmm. are not to contaminate ourselves um, with their witchy, witchy ways. <laughs> and so uh, this is very much how much of the church feels is that the church is a fort of safety, a pillar of uh, principled biblical behavior uh, that shines like a light in a dark world. Mm-hmm. What do you think about that? Uh, I mean, I think there's a lot more verses for the um, more explicitly evangelical mission of the church than there is for the withdrawn evangelical mission of the church. So not to say that you couldn't back it up scripturally, but there's more to suggest that we are called to um, to infiltrate yeah in, is with a kind of a violent word but but to you know get after people not so much wait for them to well that's a good segue to the, um, to the next option but i'll tell you what i told this guy and uh, and he ruffled my feathers because he's 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 i mean he's in my face in front mm-hmm. of a lot of people and i said man i just got to tell you that idea that you're pitching is not only uh anti-christ it probably comes from the pit of hell Dang. And I said, I am so grateful that Jesus was not an evangelical separatist. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. I mean, he put on my skin and he came into my world and he died for me. So thank God that God himself is not an evangelical separatist. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm, I showed my bias on that one. Did it work? Did, did uh, oh, no. He, yeah. he took his kid, never came back. And I was okay with that because he's still going to be in the kingdom. He'll find a church that thinks like him. And that's awesome. I don't have any, I don't, I'm not running any offense for that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think people should be in churches that communities of faith that are aligned with the way they see the world. I'm on this kick right now where my worldview is a three word worldview. Mm-hmm. Jesus is Lord. That should shape how I see everything in the world. Yeah. And so I'm kind of having fun with that lately in my own thinking. For sure. Okay, so option number two is to dominate. Okay, the culture again. Yes. Yeah. So the first posture is to fortify against the culture, you know, safety. Right. The second idea, well, let's dominate the culture. Let's get Christians in the White House. Let's get Christians in Congress. Let's uh, change all the laws. Let's uh, own all the music. Let's, Let's get involved in Hollywood. Let's... Let's dominate the culture. Let's let's uh, protest uh, same-sex marriage. Let's protest abortion. Uh, let's power up and dominate the culture. Let's get our way. Yeah. What do you think of that? I think that we basically had a whole conversation about that on the America, is it a Christian nation or not kind of thing, where mm-hmm. this idea of it as like a um, New Jerusalem kind of thing, like yeah. what we can make a kingdom a utopia-ish space yeah. here yeah um and i would say strong arming your way into making other people behave more christ-like 
you'd have a hard time backing that up scripturally too, just like the fortification <laughs> one. <laughs> yeah, dominate uh, is is a really Christian uh, American Christian idea. We have a mm-hmm. lot of this in this particular season of time with with what we would call Christian nationalists, yeah, who believe that we are supposed to turn America into a Christian nation. They would argue it were all it was founded that way. And that our job would then be to get America to be an, a Christian nation where we dominate the culture with Christian ideals and that we legislate and make our laws uh, based on Christian principles. Mm-hmm. This is tough. I mean, we've talked a lot about, you know, um, how Christians should engage with politics or not. And it's tough because I have a my personal tendencies is um, it's funny in this conversation. My personal tendency is the withdrawn fortification thing from politics in particular. Right. I don't think necessarily that way with people, Mm -hmm. but it's hard for me to, uh, my argument for getting involved in politics is is still hard to make. So, so I could have the opposite problem. (laughs) Um, yeah, that you just don't want to do it. Yeah. Just do not engage kind of thing. Yeah. 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 And apathy, I guess would be an option. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Yeah. I think that, you know, uh, you're too young for this, but in, in, back in the eighties, and for a long time, there was a thing called the Moral Majority. That's a, an official organization hmm. made up, started by a guy named Jerry Falwell, a pastor in the South. And this became a huge voting block. Uh, you could not win presidential elections without these the favor of these guys. Really? Yeah. And that was the goal is, right. is to, um, to really be a caucus or a uh, lobbying power. And uh, influence. And influence the culture that way. Yeah. Okay, so uh, the third idea is to assimilate into the culture. Mm-hmm. Let's just take on, and man, many would argue uh, this is what we're doing musically with lights and haze and church rock concert worship. And, you know, some people have a real issue with that, that that's assimilating into the culture using sure. using secular mm-hmm. uh, movie clips, um, reading quotes from secular books. Uh, that these things are are too much letting the world into the church, but others would say no. This is how you engage the cult, the culture. You assimilate into it, and then this is where churches then go so far as to uh, become fully inclusive, where they where they allow their their members to mm-hmm. be um, same sex. They even would perform uh, gay weddings in their church. Sure, they have all the rights of any other Christians to do that so that would be assimilating into the culture yeah and uh there's like culturally as far as pop culture this it seem seems different in a way like, like how you started with you know we we behave this way culturally in our youth group we'll show like a a braveheart clip right a men's conference we'll, sh- we'll show a braveheart clip <laughs> or something like that to try and try yeah. and speak the same language as yes. the culture it's a bridge into the culture or maybe right yeah and then there's the you know, taking this whole um, loving people and reaching out to people thing and saying, well, if I were to ever say that somebody's lifestyle is wrong, then I'm not reaching out to them. I'm not loving them appropriately. So then you get into the total assimilation of our values are the same as your values. Right. And things like that. Now, what's interesting, I, I actually, I'm not making this up. I saw an article about a pastor. I forget what state he was in, but he would wear blue. I mean, he would wear uh, leather jackets and gold chains and he called his wife my hoe 
Whoa. Oh, she's a good hoe. (laughs) And and he's just totally going after her. And it's just comical because you see this preachy-looking white guy talking like this. But this would be an an effort to assimilate probably uh, into the culture so that you can speak that language. Did it work? No. It was a laughing (laughs) stock. I mean, it it was pretty funny. So the effort, you know, the desire is a good one to connect with culture, speak the same language, try to have a bridge there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that got a little comical and it's a slippery slope. Yeah. So let's, let's push and pull on these three concepts, John, uh, fortify, dominate, or assimilate. Mm-hmm. Um, where, where's your brain going on, on any one of those three, pick out one and let's, let's, let's push and pull. Yeah. Um, I think all of them make sense is the, is the thing. So it's, none of this is like, What's crazy now is that like there's certain movements or or um, you know social elements that for the first time in my life I see those and I go I don't know how you got there I don't mm. know where you got that idea I, where it starts making me feel like I'm going crazy you know that kind of thing when you see the when you look at the culture or when you look at churches mostly the culture but some, a lot of churches too a lot of uh, churches specifically some of the fortify ones like where you have an entire uh, like like a family makes sense, and and I don't have any kids, and I can one hundred percent see me being like this with kids. Oh yeah, you're terrified about who they're going to connect with, right? Who they're going to have sleepovers with, and what's going on over there, right? And so uh, there's no judgment there. It mm-hmm. is just uh, when it comes to domination, for example, the um, what you do with your life is so important to me. That's mm-hmm. kind of what that that's that's. Uh, what the term is uh, that's reductive of me to say that yeah but and it seeks to control your behavior i want to control you exactly and so uh to me that implies that all jesus came here to do and all that i would need to do to do my job (laughs) is to make you be a good little boy just modify behavior good girl yeah Yeah. that's all you got to do is hey don't don't uh don't do that don't do that so it's (laughs) it's not about being alive again it's not about being submitted to to jesus as your lord or or to be part of the kingdom none of that is important here it's just just about behavior. just behavior so that's how um that's when i get I, where, where i where i start to see um leaps scripturally that i can't always explain mm-hmm. uh, but all of these make sense to me on an emotional level right yeah and they all have elements of i can totally see yeah why you would take this approach it's interesting because um, if you just modify modify behavior, this is what the Pharisees did, mm-hmm. and he said, "Hey, you're like a you're like a tomb, really pretty on the outside, but on the inside you're full of death and dry bones." Yeah, or you're like or the cup, or you're the cup. You're pretty on the outside. You changed your behavior. You look clean. You cleaned up. Yeah, but inside, man, you're still uh, proud, jealous, envious, egotistical, arrogant. Mm-hmm. Um, so sometimes what that has done, the the fortified deal in particular, has and dominate, I guess, would do this too. It's it's had Christians feel like, well, when I'm a when I'm around church people, I need to fake it. I need yeah. to pretend that my life is way more put together than it actually is. Otherwise, they might kick me out of here. Well, and because so much of it is appearance based, right? So certain things that aren't even um, explicitly sin behaviors. If a person has dyed hair a nose piercing and some tattoos, mm-hmm. you know, there's automatic assumptions when it comes to a lot of these, a lot of these fortifier dominate kind of cultures Yeah, where, uh, you know, you don't know a thing about this person, but because of their, it, there's like a, a, a 
kind of a status quo kind of thing. I don't know. It's it's hard to. Uh, um, well, you can put tell sometimes in the way people dress in a church, they all look alike. Mm-hmm. Like there's a church uniform, and I think part of this is the homeschool families. Yeah, you know, we used to go. We homeschooled our kids for a while, and we'd go to these gatherings of homeschool families. And I'm telling you, man, <laughs> it was like they all bought their clothes or typically made their clothes from the same patterns. They made their own clothes. A lot of them did, and they had these denim jumpers and. <laughs> it was it was I, it was kind of like stepping into an Amish community or something. Yeah, it sounds a little bit like that. I was the only one of our family to not be homeschooled for any amount of time, which is weird to me because I, I never. I yeah, wasn't part we of stopped it. caring by the time you were born. Yeah, you said, "Here, I'll, I'll let the <laughs> depraved public school take care of him. See how he turns out." We enjoyed having public school as a part of our life. I and I enjoyed going there. I was just yeah. making yeah. having fun, but the uh, again emotionally and and when it comes to what does the church do for the people in them right so when we're talking about like the purpose of the church and if the purpose you said for a lot of people it's it's you know more self-serving but it not always in a malevolent way it's what does it do for my kids a place that i can feel released from the pressure of culture Mm -hmm. you know our the name of our podcast upstream feeling the pressure of the current against you yeah it's not it's not pleasant right it's not it's not it's exhausting sometimes. and you don't want your kid to get washed down the stream right so I, I totally get that and and there would be you know when i was youth pastoring there'd be families would see this kid come in mm-hmm. to the church that one of the one of the kids brought to church trying to help him find his way to faith and that kid smokes weed mm-hmm. and they're like hey you got to tell that kid he can't come uh mm-hmm. because he's going to talk my kid into smoking weed <laughs> or there's a kid who's who's having sex and i don't want him to tell my kid about how much fun that is yeah. And so uh, they really wanted you to fortify this community of students so that they could be protected. Yeah. It's interesting as a pastor and really, I think, as as members of a church, one the tension comes that the church is three things at the same time. Um, it is a it is a community. It's a family. Mm-hmm. We call each other brother and sister. We don't do that much anymore. But the scriptures do that. And in, in the old days, we called each other brother, brother John and you know, sister Lindsay and yeah. Um, and so we're a family, but secondly, we're also a cause. We Mm -hmm. exist for the people who are not a part of us yet. We have a redemptive mission in the world, but then third, we're a corporation because Mm -hmm. of the American laws and we're nonprofits. We have to have bylaws and, uh, tax exemption status and sure. you have to report revenues to the government government and we have employment laws and so you have these three things and when you're talking about the church sometimes you want to say no what part are you talking about are you talking about the community are you talking about the cause or are you talking about the corporation yeah and if you try to blend those three inappropriately they don't work mm-hmm. so as a community i can see the fortify um Standard. Hey, we we're 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 a family. We want to we want to provide a safe family. Totally for one another. Totally on the dominate. We're a cause, and we need to take over the world. <laughs> and maybe the way to do that is to take power. Mm-hmm. And you know the the thing falling back. I've I've heard this a lot with uh, people who don't um, vote. Which I again, and I've never advocate for not, for not voting, but <laughs> or for not running for office or. You know, they say, well, then we will have no Christians in the White House. You right. got to have Christians in the White House. You got to have Christians in Hollywood. You got to have Christians, you know, everywhere. Really, is the is the thing. So it's there's, um, that that isn't necessarily domination, but it's that idea of of 
we need representation everywhere. We need eyes everywhere. Kind of thing. Oh yeah. I, I happen to believe we need Christians everywhere, but that's because we need a Christian in every Oikos. Right. And, uh, we are salt and light and, and you can't be salt and light if you separate. Yeah. And Jesus prayed for us in John 17, I believe. And he said, father, I do not pray that you take them out of the world, but I pray that you protect them from the world. Mm. Um, so Jesus position on this is I don't want you to withdraw from the world. Otherwise you have no effectiveness for the mission. Sure. But I also don't want you to be sucked into the world and I don't want you to be, um, contaminated by the world to keep yourself uh, from being polluted. Mm -hmm. So those are real challenges and you can see why it's, I, I think this, John, I've had this theory for quite a while now that human behavior much of the time has one ultimate subconscious goal. I want to eliminate the tension. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and so I would choose fortify because now this is how we do it. This, we don't have the tension anymore. This is what this is for. Yeah. Or we dominate or we assimilate because we're trying to eliminate the tension of having to live in the, in the both and world. Right. So you're either, you're either hiding from it. You're, Squashing the opposition yep. or you're dispersing into the opposition. Yes. All of it is relieving tension. Yeah. And, and man, I, I realized when I had this aha moment about relieving tension, I realized that's how I make a lot of my decisions yeah. and why extreme answers to any question are appealing because they eliminate the tension. Yeah. So I think that's a, a real challenge. Let's do our commercial and we'll do our book report. Mm-hmm. And then we will, it's our show and tell, but it's a book. Yeah. Um, and then we will um, talk about option number four, which we believe to be the biblical answer to this question. I love it. You're up with uh, the book this week. What do you got for us? Okay. So I have this book that I, I love because man, the writer is really good mm-hmm. and he's funny. Um, it is a book that is um, somewhat political in nature. It's perfect for this conversation because it's about culture mm-hmm. and it's written by, uh, Ken Stern, who um, was the CEO, I don't know if he still is, I think he is, the CEO of uh, NPR. Mm. Uh, he lives in Washington, D.C., and he was at, and he's a Democrat. Yeah. And he was at a neighborhood party in his neighborhood. And um, he realized as he looked around this block party that there was not a single, that he does not have a single Republican in his neighborhood. Yeah. And that surprised him. So he began to ask people at the party, do you have any Republican friends? Do you know a Republican? Like know them where you have, you have a friend, a relationship with them. Yeah. The answer was no, none of them had a single friendship with a Republican. And he didn't have one either. Right? Correct. So he starts doing research on this and he really, he finds out that the country is more politically segregated than it is even ethnically segregated. Hmm. There are whole parts of cities that are, Republican or Democrat. Uh, I live down here when I moved where we moved two years ago, two and a half years ago into our home in this neighborhood. This is a conservative neighborhood. Yeah. I, I did not realize uh, that I was moving in, moving into Trump country. Uh, <laughs> it's really fascinating to me sociologically. Yeah. That so there's like a geographical representation. Yeah. Of, of this. Yeah. And so what he did was he went on a mission to meet a bunch of Republicans. He wanted to have Republican friends. What's so the name of the book? The name of the book is Republican Like Me. And there's a red hat on it, like a MAGA hat. Mm-hmm. And it says me on the hat. And and the book is called Republican Like Me. And what he did was he immersed himself 
in the Republican world. The first thing he did was he went down to South Texas, San Antonio, and he went on a hog hunt with a bunch of gun-loving Texans. And this That's guy going deep. Oh yeah, and this guy's anti-gun. Okay. And uh, he wants gun control like crazy. And uh, so what he does in the book is he talks about these Republicans he got to know, and he realized they were wonderful people. Mm. He fell in love with them. And what he does in the book is he articulates the Republican point of view on every subject he cares about, and he does it better than lots of Republicans do. Dang. And uh, his arguments his arguments on behalf of Republicans for gun rights is one of the best I've ever heard. Interesting. Now, he still says it's a bunch of BS. You should not have guns. Sure. But he articulates it extremely well. Now, here's what's interesting about this book. First of all, he's really funny, and I love hearing from people that I don't normally traffic with, you know? Yeah. Um, and what's interesting, though, is I've encouraged 10 Republican friends to read this book. And when I say Republican friends, I mean politically engaged, passionate Republicans. Yeah. And nine of them said, why in the world would I do that? Really? Yeah. Refused. I gave them a free copy. I'm not touching that book. It's like I was asking huh. them to look at porn. <laughs> huh? Only one has read it, and he loved it. Well, good for him. Yeah. So here's my challenge to you. If you're a very conservative political thinker, I would encourage you to get this book. Now, you could say, well, now I'm supporting a Democrat NPR guy, blah, 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 blah. What you're doing is you're expanding your thinking, and particularly as it as it pertains to having an influence in culture, if you don't understand how anybody's thinking, processing, and who have the same goals. You know, one of the, Sue had an aha the other day, my wife Sue, mm-hmm. your mom, about um, extreme liberals and extreme conservatives. Check this out. Extreme conservatives are convinced that liberals are going to take over the world. This is their goal. They're going to take over the country, and they're going to drive us into extinction. Mm -hmm. And extreme liberals say the extreme conservatives want to take over our country and drive us into oblivion. They both have the same fear of the other person. Sure. It's like that's, that's why I love this book. Because it brings humanity back to the conversation and you realize these people are not getting out of bed every morning saying, let's ruin our country. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it humanizes them. It does. Yeah. Yeah. So that's my book report. It was ironic to me when you first read this, because it's been a while now. It has. Um, I used to listen to NPR a lot before, one, when I was driving a lot, which hasn't been the case in COVID, and two, before I got into Spotify and more and podcasts mm-hmm. and things mm-hmm. like that. And uh, um, and I like NPR, and every as, as do I, and as does your mother. Well, except when I when I bring it up to you, you go, oh. well, well, I said that they're liberal. Yeah, Sue for, for, said something. She she said, oh, I was listening to NPR. I like to listen to NPR. I said, oh, well, they're liberal, and she said, no, they're not. And she was comparing them to like Fox News, and and I said, hey, they're liberal. No, they're not. Well, they are, in fact, liberal. If they report on a president, you can tell their tone of voice. You can tell how they frame, whether it's a Democrat or Republican president. We're going to get in the weeds. They're not to the extent that you would see Fox News or CNN. No, not nearly like that. 
but they are, they do skew liberal. But I love NPR, and I do think it it's more like a British news hmm. than American news, I which I like. Yeah. So uh, I might lose a listener or two over this. I like NPR. I don't listen to it all the time, but I do like it, and I love the jazz they play and yeah. the blues they play. It's good. All right, so we probably just wasted three minutes of your time talking about <laughs> NPR, but uh, here's our commercial. We'll be right back. Upstream is supported by the faithful members of the Upstream team, listeners who give monthly through Patreon. This podcast is just one part of the Jim and John ministry. They also write weekly blogs, have published their first book, and are currently at work on more. Their desire is to produce transformational content, as well as offer encouragement and coaching to others. The dream is to see a movement of people who are integrating the work of Jesus into their daily lives and who are joining him on his mission to redeem and restore all things. Check out their website at jimandjohn.com where you can learn more about the father-son duo and gain access to all they have to offer. If you would like to join the Upstream team, consider partnering with Jim and John on patreon.com slash jimandjohn. A link is also available on the homepage of their website. And remember, there's no H in John. Now let's join Jim and John for the home stretch of today's conversation. All right, welcome back. We're going to talk about option number four of how the church should uh, posture itself uh, as it pertains to a very complicated culture. Yeah. Uh, and, a, and a very non-biblical culture. Yeah. Uh, what should be our posture? And so we said uh, fortify is option one. Dominate is option two. Assimilate is option three. And option four is to incarnate. 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 This is what Jesus did. He wanted to reach us, so he became one of us Mm. to be among us. Uh, In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Nothing nothing was made that was made without him. He made it all. Incarnate as in carne, like beef? No, incarnate. I know. I'm saying saying the Word is is flesh. It is... Like uh, yes, in carne flesh. asada is is, is beef, <laughs> and carnal sin is is of the flesh. And I'm just saying, I'm, I'm getting yeah. the word. You know, just, yeah. you can think of it. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as who did receive him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. He dwelled among us. Tabernacled is actually the uh, history of that mm, word. Sure. So God decides because of His great love for us. God so loved the world, He gave. What did he do? He gave his only son who came to live among us to show us the love of God, to lead us in a redemptive pathway back to God and to set us free from ourselves. Um, This is the call of the church, the people of God. Well, and it's, you know, the call of us to be like Christ. So, so really when you say, like you said, your three world, three word worldview, Mm -hmm. Jesus is Lord. This is really all about that. It's it, what does the church do? What do I do? It is to be like my Lord, to be like Jesus. So so that is the answer to this question is to do what he did, which is to, to incarnate. Yes. Now, this gets challenging because, well, what does that mean? Well, mm-hmm. it means things like I pray for those who persecute me. It means if somebody strikes me on the right cheek, I turn to them the left. Sure. It means that if somebody takes my cloak... I offer them my shirt too. Uh, these are in, these are incredible. Uh, Philippians two, um, 
though he was the son of God, Jesus did not consider equality with God a thing to be used to his own advantage, but emptied himself, made himself nothing, and took the form of a servant. So even though he was in form God, he takes the form of a servant yeah. and incarnates himself into their world. Why? To show them right side up because it's all upside down. And he lives among them to love them, to to demonstrate to them the love of God that seeks to redeem them. Mm-hmm. Now, here was a thing I tripped up on for a little bit. The whole purpose of the church, the purpose of your life and mine, our mission is to demonstrate and communicate the the love of God to the entire world. What do you think about that as a mission statement? This is our mission to communicate and demonstrate and reveal the love of God to all human beings. I think it's, again, it's tough because you go, you think, where did we, where do you get that? Right. Right. And so it's tough because Jesus never says, this is what the church is for. <laughs> like it's never, it's not that blatant. And again, when you said in our society, when the church has those three functions, one of them being corporate. Yeah. Um, it, it just gets so tricky to what does that actually look like in mm-hmm. a day? Mm-hmm. What does the church do? You know, you think about like, I want to get strong. I can do a workout routine. This is my struggle with a lot of, uh, of, um, you know, what is sanctification or what is, what is getting closer to God? What do I do to work out in mm-hmm. my faith? What is, right. what is that? So the same, what is what does the church do to execute that commission of loving people? And that, well, what they do is they, uh, they love, I mean, love when you love someone, you are for them. Mm-hmm. So they love homosexuals, for example. Hmm. I mean, they love them. They do not lead with that sin. You can't do that. God hates that. Sure. They lead with God loves you. I love you. Let's be friends. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a totally different approach uh, that my goal is simply I, I love the mission statement of Salvation Army. Okay. To demonstrate the love of God to all human beings without discrimination. Hmm. Man, I, I love that. And and I like I say, I tripped over this because you said, well, where do you get that? And um, I get it from John three sixteen. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. What made him give his son? His love, his great love for the world. Yeah. That is his driving motivation. It is not his desire to pour out his wrath. It is not his desire to punish the wicked. He will certainly do so. He, the law of the farm will not be violated. People will choose or reject God. That's going to happen. But his heart, his desire, his passion, and what he spends his energy on is to persuade them to choose his love. Yeah. And this is our job. So what's the best way to do that? Well, the best way to do that is relationship. The whole Oikos principle is that 95% of people come to faith in Christ through a significant relationship. Yeah. So what's the best way for me to help my friend, help help the people in the world find Christ? To be in relationship with them. To genuinely love them. I was watching a uh, some kind of I forget what it was, but they were there were these people picking on uh, an Amish kid, okay, kind of bullying him. Sure. And somebody says, "Yeah, the Amish won't fight back," and they wouldn't because their principle was, "We love everyone, and we will not we will not hurt someone." Hmm. And so these bullies are just beating on them, picking on them, and they won't fight back. 
And it's like how powerful that is. Gandhi, you know, kind of the Gandhi approach. Um, I will not hate anyone. Martin Luther King. I choose love. Hate is too exhausting. Yeah. Um, it's a it's a really powerful thing. And dominate and fortify sound like hate. Yeah. Well, and it's very much, um, you know, what is they? What are they thinking about when you think of these things? So we talked about how emotionally understandable that is. Because that core emotion is fear yes. and self-preservation. Yes. It is concerned with my um, well-being and future and destiny and how I can protect that from assailants. It's well, not, and you it, could even say, well, I care about my country. Yeah. Because as my country goes downhill morally, my whole country is going to decline. Um, it, that, that, um, that a land of evil will be devoured. Yeah, but the if the core motivation is less preservation than love, like you said, right? Maybe I would say, and and not to say that your first statement is all incorrect, but maybe I would say the core motivation of the church is love, and that would that help that navigates these four um, expressions. Yeah, my only I guess so again when I think of the church in in uh, the very very early church in in Acts, the uh, now church is like a Christian factory. I bring my friend to the factory. If I can convince them to go to the factory and get turned into a Christian, <laughs> then I just won. I just right, did my job. Right. And people, it seems like in Acts, people weren't bringing people to the church to say, they weren't saying, hey, do you want to go with me to this house where this guy talks to us? Mm-hmm. It seems like they, they were doing the Oikos thing. They were getting equipped at the house and then missioning with their lives to their family and friends man now you're speaking my love language man because i believe that the mission of the church god gave apostles prophets evangelists shepherd teachers why to equip god's people Mm -hmm. for their ministry for the work of the ministry so uh here's what i would i would this i would postulate is that the right word (laughs) i don't know that works for me um I would prostate this, <laughs> that uh, the church exists, the gatherings of the church exist to equip you for your ministry. Yeah. Um, the church doesn't exist to be this attractional opportunity, this theatrical presentation of the gospel so that people far from God will come and watch the theatrical presentation and be convinced to give their life to Jesus. The purpose of the church is to equip all of its members to do their job to use their spiritual gifts and to answer their calling in the world. So uh, really the church is for Christians, not for non-Christians. They're yeah. always welcome. But the church itself is a, is a gathering of the called out ones, the people who are already Christians. Why do they gather? They gather to love one another, to worship God and to be equipped so they can get back out there for the next six days and do their ministry well. And so that's why I think the, um, the core, strength or, or what you get out of the fortified response um, isn't even necessarily wrong and you can get it in the proper expression of the church yes you can get the safe place where you can uh, um, juice your batteries uh, be among like-minded people who who you know edify you and mm-hmm. and strengthen you for the week because that's that's the goal of the community of the actual gathering yes as long as you don't start forbidding people from coming into well, that place exactly because of their moral code. That's what I'm saying. What you get out of that can be can be achieved in the actual healthy, yes. proper expression. Of the I church. totally agree with that. It should be achieved. We yeah. should be family. We should be loving, supporting, encouraging, provoking one another to love and good deeds. 
not forsaking our assembling together. We need each other. So it absolutely should provide that for you. It just can't be us four and no more. And right. I'm not sure about the three of you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, my so, so that seems pretty square. Yeah. I think I've, I've got that. When it comes to the, um, now we would call it social work, but, you know, the quartet of the vulnerable that, that Jesus says, yeah. you know, what what are you doing for the, yeah. the widow, the orphan, the imprisoned, and the sick? Mm-hmm. And so the the church also has obligations there. Right now we've said the church equips those in it to, or those that are it, to go in and witness with their lives. What is the church's responsibility with social things like that? Yeah. Well, um, I have said for a long time that if I were president of the United States, I would uh, go on all, I would require all broadcast mediums to broadcast my speech. I would give a 10 minute speech to the entire country. And I would tell them in 10 months, all entitlement programs with federal dollars are coming to an end. It's time for you Christians and religious folks to do your job and take care of the poor. Dang. Um, because I think that's the, what should be happening. And mm. if you look in the social services world, you find that it's flooded with a lot of Christians. Yeah. If you took the generosity of Christians off the earth, man, it changes everything. We start orphanages and adoption programs and feeding programs. I mean, it's, it's, it's awesome. But uh, what the church has done is relegate that to parachurch ministries. Sure. So we'll equip the saints and we'll be the body, but you guys who uniquely do that good thing, we'll just give you some money and you go do it. Right. That's what I was going to say is that it's, it's most of the ministry, at least here in the American church, is financial. Yeah. In this particular arena, it's. Yeah. It's our, our congregants give money faithfully, not, not a small thing. Oh, it's not a small thing at all. And we can, we can make big advances with those dollars. Yeah. And yet, even though we make big advances with those dollars, one of my favorite things about Evergreen that we do is every Easter we do a, a uh, one day to feed the world. Mm-hmm. And we will raise, in the last three years, we've averaged about $57,000 in a single day. Man. And we feed kids all over the world with that. Uh, it's an amazing thing. But you can't do, you know, that money's powerful. Yeah. Um, so that's a, a, it's a great thing. John the Baptist sends his guys to ask Jesus, are you the one or should we look for another? This mm-hmm. is Matthew 11. And Jesus says, go back and tell John what you see in here, that the blind eyes are open. The poor are being loved. The, the, the incarcerated are being set free. Go tell him that. Well, that slapped me in the face in the last week thinking about that. And he says, and the good news is being preached to the poor. To the poor. And so if somebody came and said, is Evergreen the real deal? Are you guys the real church? What would we say? Well, go report to that guy what you see in here. We gather together. We have a blast with each other. <laughs> we have really nice buildings, comfortable pews. We have kicking music. Uh, we we have great programs for our kids. What? But again, that you, you've accused me of being too hard on myself recently. I think that's too hard on the church. It is too hard on the church. We have but, a, an entire ministry for foster care in our in our community. Mm-hmm. We funded this one. We do the dollar offering every week. Do the dollar offering. We funded an entire position dedicated to fighting fighting homelessness. Sounds funny to uh, addressing homelessness in our community. There's a lot. There is a lot, and and those are fantastic. It it just it 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 just strikes me that. Um, we, the church, we mm-hmm. Christians should be obsessed with the poor, the sick, the vulnerable, the alien. Mm-hmm. 
we should be losing sleep over these people. We should be doing everything within our power for them. And I have to confess that is not me. Yeah. And so I'm wrestling with how do I become more like that? And uh, when you take the dollars, man, if you look this, again, I am being really hard on us, but I think we have to be hard on ourselves or else we'll never keep moving forward. Sure. If you look at all the money that was given to churches in a single year in America, okay, Mm -hmm. you could argue you could eliminate one social evil with all that money in one year. Do you have the number? I can't remember, and I don't want to guess, but it's sure. a it's a it's a it's a staggering number, and churches continue to spend. Now, I read somewhere this week, and I don't know if this is accurate because it's all churches, and I don't know. I just don't know. Yeah, but that they spend more than ninety percent of their income, their revenue, on themselves. Sure, better buildings, staffing, programs, blah blah blah, um, and they give away to the vulnerable, the poor, whatever less than 10% of the revenue. So they're not even Mm -hmm. doing what they preach to the members to do, which is to tithe. (laughs) Right. So uh, I dream of a day when Evergreen will give away 50% of its revenue. Mm. I think that that irrational generosity and not needing gaudy, you know, lavish buildings for ourselves. Sure. I think those are hard to reconcile with the, life and teaching of Jesus. Yeah. And I think, you know, again, so much of it is cultural. This whole conversation is our current landscape mm-hmm. and the current landscape is hard to, is hard to sell. You think it would be hard to sell um, the unmarked warehouse with some folding chairs in it and some really bad coffee. You yeah, know, you're, now you're making fun of me there. Cause that's been a dream of mine. I'm, just, I'm not making funny. Cause I like, I love that idea. <laughs> I'm saying, I don't know how you sell it because it's yeah. all about selling in our culture. And well, that's not the way it was. That's not the way it should be as what I'm yeah. saying. And when, uh, when King David was chosen, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, the priest looked at the oldest boy and said, Ooh, that must be the one the Lord has chosen. Cause he was tall, good looking, and the Lord said, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And he had chosen David, the runt of the litter, because of his heart for God. Mm-hmm. And uh, that that principle, man looks at the outward appearance, God looks at the heart. This is one of the reasons our buildings and our land, you know, our landscaping, these things matter because people do look at the outward appearance. Sure. Uh, but God's looking at our heart. So you need both. You need to have a decent outward appearance. You need to manage that as well as you can. And have an amazing heart. Yeah. And that's interesting because you have examples. John the Baptist was seemingly on purpose a freak to look at. <laughs> yes, he was. Yes. But Jesus was not that way. The, the uh, apostles were not necessarily that way. It is interesting. Uh, he seems, I guess he was kind of an outlier. There, yeah. But. It, it kind of is. What is the bait you're fishing with? Yeah. And uh, the bait we're fishing with in our culture is that we love like crazy. We, this should be the bait we fish with, that we are light, we are salt, we are love, we are generosity, we care about people nobody else cares for, we will speak up for the ones who have no voice. Um, man, we are a place you can come and be, be loved, be accepted, be embraced, be escorted to the great love uh, of our Redeemer. This should be our leading calling card identity and mission. And that is incarnation. 
I love it. And I think that, honestly, because there's more complicated things we haven't touched on, but if that is your motivation, if that if that is your why to your what, mm-hmm. then they can kind of solve, or the answers become evident then yeah. with that in mind. Yeah. I think that's awesome. Yeah, and tolerance is not love. You know, mm. if I have a child and they're doing self-destructive things, it is not loving for me to let them keep ruining their lives. Sure. So to speak up, to encourage, to advocate for uh, is loving, but it must be done in that loving way from that motive of, man, I love you too much to watch you do this to yourself. Sure. Not, I need to dominate you and you're a threat to my world <laughs> and I got to end you. Yeah. And this is why this is why the scripture says we do not wrestle with flesh and blood. You're not my enemy. Mm-hmm. There is a spirit of the age. There is an enemy that wants to kill, steal, and destroy. That is my enemy. You are my brother. Yeah. I love it. What's your takeaway? One uh, simple major takeaway. Well, I guess that was my takeaway. So that the the motivation or the um, the why you're doing this shows both how you get to these other three uh, expressions of the church that you and I don't agree with um, and shows how you could navigate in a better way. So if you're motivation or if your heart is in preservation mm-hmm. and and how do i keep my pure pure children clean from the dirty world you know this kind of thing right right um then you're going to have a certain expression of the church naturally or you're just it's just that's how you know water flows downhill that's how it goes if mm-hmm. that's your if that's your value then that's what happens so um if your value is truly love and and care of um the vulnerable in your society and your oikos then the answers are are evident from yeah. there. the the expression of the church is evident from there. Yeah. I feel compelled to make one last statement. We have a Christian school at Evergreen. Mm-hmm. I'm a big fan of Christian education. And I never I'm a, yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of yeah. homeschooling, but let me tell you the difference. I'm a big fan of Christian education that does not seek to protect my kids from the big bad world. Right. I'm a fan of Christian education that seeks to prepare my kid to be a powerful influence in a big bad world. That's exactly right. I was never uh, trying to poo-poo. Oh, no. I, I was thinking that I poo-pooed it earlier. Gotcha. So I want to make clear why we have a Christian school and why I advocate for that is that it's not a place to hide from. It's a place to prepare for. Right. I love yeah. it. Do you have a takeaway? No, I think I think I think I've spoke way too much today. <laughs> okay. Well, hey, if you uh, would like to reach us, uh, you can email us at info at Jim and John, no H in the John, Jim and John dot com, excuse me, uh, or at Jim and John dot com. There is a contact form uh, or you can uh, private message us on Instagram or comment on our post there. And uh, we see it all and we would love to hear from you. Yep. Find us on Instagram as well. Jim and John. And I've been cranking out some blogs lately. So we're back to the blogging schedule being a little more consistent. So visit that at our website as well, uh, jimandjohn.com. Awesome. Thank you guys so much. This was episode 99. So we will see you next week for 100. Yeah. See you guys. 